real time at scale. That's where Kafka was built for. The big other foundational differences are it's an open architecture. So you can use it for free from open source with Apache license, or you can use vendors, but still are open. When we talk to the executives of the um, Fortune 500 companies, they, of course, want to work with vendors and get the support for Kafka and its additional tools for operations. But the core foundation has to be open source. And the software business know these discussions around Big Blue and Big Red when um, the Oracle license changes, right? And you have to pay more millions because otherwise their business model doesn't work. But you cannot simply go away from that because it's one solution built into all your mission-critical workloads. And um, the same is true for mainframes and so on. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust. Today, not tomorrow. This episode is part one of two. So make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast in your preferred platform to not miss the second part. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast. And today we have Kai Weiner with me from Confluent, and he is an absolute rock star. I've been following his work for the last couple of years. He doesn't know about it, but I feel that I know him already. I've watched so many tutorials about how to work with data and streaming platforms and how to make sense of all these things that are happening. And I'm super proud to have him with us. So please, Kai, who are you? Where did you start? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. Great to be here and talk about this interesting topic. So I came from university around 12, 13 years ago. And at that time, I already started working on data. It was always fascinating. And especially because I worked in the data integration space from the beginning to integrate all the different technologies and machines and devices and so on. Of course, over time, this changed a lot regarding technologies and it got much more into open source space than it was 10 years ago. So this is part of what we are talking about today. But in general, I see more and more data flowing around and you need to apply and leverage it to add business value and be innovative in your business. And, and that's also what we will talk about today in the use cases. And that from my history, I first was an independent consultant and also did some coding and projects in Scrum mode where it was very agile and you learned a lot. And then I went more to the sales business from a technical perspective at companies like Talent and Tipco, which is still mostly middleware and analytics. And then as last move, I went to Confluent around four years 
years ago. And Confluent is the company um, which works on Apache Kafka and does event streaming. So continuously processing huge volumes of data and data integration. And obviously, IoT is a huge space here. That's what we will talk about today. And the great thing is really in my role now, I work globally. Now with Corona, of course, mostly from home, but still talking to customers across the globe. And so I see a lot of projects and a lot of use cases where Kafka is used. And uh, it's really also to point out from the beginning, it's not just about Kafka, but how to complement Kafka and Confluent together with other IoT platforms. And that's really a great story we will talk about today. Awesome. I think that's perfect. Looking back at your history, I saw that you're working with the integration and open source and all these kind of things. How has that evolved in the last 10 years? Is it more open source? Is it being used more for, you know, the fundamentals or is it still very for hobby projects? What do you see? Yeah, completely changed really in the last 10 years. And when I worked for Tipco before Confluent, it was already in this shift of changing. And the main point is that especially in this scenarios where you work in like industrial IoT and mobility and so on, it completely shifted from using only proprietary technologies to using an open architecture. And the big point here, however, is this does not mean that every company uses only open source and writes everything by themselves. That's not happening, right? But the point is that it's an open architecture so that you can integrate with anything. And the times are going away where um, the specific vendors provide their own PLCs and their own DCS, which is proprietary and you cannot connect it to everything else, but it's an open world. And part of that, of course, is also because in the industry 4.0, you need to connect not just the cloud and your data centers, but also all the machines and devices in your production line. And this is why this shift is happening. And therefore, we see a lot more open architectures. Again, this does not mean that everything is open source only. We with Confluent, we also provide a commercial solution on top of Apache Kafka, but it's still open and you can change the things, you can integrate with anything, you can build your own connectivity. And there, it's really a complete shift, especially in industrial IoT, proprietary solutions to open future. However, having said that, of course, this is the journey. Uh, the customers go right now, um, still most of the stuff is proprietary because uh, that's very different from traditional software development where I started with, because in industrial IoT, the factories have to run for 30 years or so, right? So you cannot simply change something. And therefore, it's um, complementary to add open architectures to the existing proprietary PLCs and so on. Awesome. I think that's fantastic. And I think like for me that, of course, I work with industrial IoT, mobility, smart city space, smart buildings, and these kind of things. But it's also going back to construction companies where they not necessarily have that much data yet, especially not in the streaming platform kind of way. And also from a building perspective where there are legacy products everywhere. And it might be, of course, with new builds that they can do stuff with open APIs. Some of the software renders, Siemens controls, Honeywell Tritium, all these kinds of things work with open APIs. But it's also the fact that even if you have an open API, you still might need to have or use the proprietary toolset from these vendors to work with the data. What is your take on that one? Has that also changed in the industrial IoT space for Industry 4.0? As in, when you're building a new factory, can you get the data out? Can it be manipulated with tools like middleware layer, application layer, and not necessarily having to use these proprietary tools that come from the vendors? I really see still this combination. Why do people use Apache Kafka a lot? Because it provides a capability to continuously process high volumes of data. That's what it was built for. So you can really process um, gigabytes per second with one of these clusters and in real time for millions of messages from all these sensors in the machines. And it's not just about the messaging part, but really also about processing the data and correlating it from different machines and so on. And that's where the added value comes, no matter if you're just in your factory with Kafka or if you're really having hybrid solutions. So we have customers which connect factories across the globe 
globe so that also the management in their headquarters can aggregate and correlate the data. So that's the one part. But on the other side, of course, you have typically IoT-specific business logic, and that's where these um, solutions like, like OCSoft PI or any one of these, right, are built for that for 20 years, and they have the much better expertise here. So often, really, I see both of them complementary for these reasons. And what's really pretty funny also on the other side is that all of these kind of vendors, so not the customers which deploy it, but really the vendors, like the vendors of the ERP systems or MES systems or any other IoT platforms, they have exactly the same challenges like the customers. They need to process more data, higher scale, real time. And therefore, customers are surprised when I can tell them that many of these vendors also use Kafka under the hood for their next generation software, right? Because they have exactly the same challenges and, and Kafka got the de facto standard for this. And that's the great thing. And therefore... If you take a look today at any kind of these vendors like Siemens or GE or whatever it is, right, all of them have at least a Kafka connector already because they need to integrate into that ecosystem. And often what these vendors do much, much better because Kafka is not an IoT solution itself. They do the connectivity to the PLCs. They have the IoT-specific business logic. But then they use Kafka for their data processing at high volume. And also, because Kafka is also a data integration platform, they integrate that to the rest of the world, like your CRM system in the cloud and all these kind of things. And that's where Kafka is strong. And, and therefore, really to point out again, Kafka therefore and, and Confluence complementary to these other IoT vendors. And that's how we see them all our customers. Perfect. Okay, so going back to the ones who don't know about Kafka, what is it? Where did it start? What is the origin story? And what were the business needs that couldn't be solved without Kafka? Because if I look at some of the industries and companies that I work with right now, the throughput of data that is in the millions, it's not there. Some of these industries, you work with pen and paper, data is stuck in silos and all these kind of things. So do you wait until you have millions of data in streams or where do you get started? Because I remember listening to Nada Narkady when she said, as in Confluent helps companies get started on their cloud native journey. So I think like that's sort of what I want to ask as well. How do you get started with this? Because looking at traditional industries, constructions and buildings, how do you start with Kafka? That's a very good point. And also um, to point out where it started 10 years ago and uh, what changed until today, because Kafka today is different than 10 years ago. So let's start with the history. Around 10 years ago, LinkedIn and some other tech companies in Silicon Valley, they simply already had what we call the high big data term, right? So they had to process high volumes of data. They had millions of users from mobile apps. That's something which didn't exist before. And so they had to process terabytes of data. And no tool in the market could do that. And therefore, LinkedIn built their own solution. They built a scalable log for real-time processing so that they can integrate both the modern new technologies so that they integrate with millions of mobile interfaces, which is nothing else like a sensor and a machine, right, in the end. And on the other side, however, even LinkedIn, which is only maybe 15 years old, they already still had what, what they called legacy, like an Oracle database. So it's always important not just to integrate the new systems, but also the legacy systems. And not all of them are real-time and big data. And that's why LinkedIn built this solution. And then a few years later, they open-sourced it under Apache license and then gave it to the Apache Foundation. And quickly after that, a lot of other Silicon Valley companies adopted it because they had the same problems. And that was, again, around 10 years ago. But after that, as you mentioned, though, these problems also came to the traditional industry. And today, actually, over 80% of the Fortune 500 use Kafka, and they don't use it just in one project, but in plenty of projects. And it doesn't matter if it's banking, if it's insurance, like more the traditional enterprises, or if it's manufacturing and car makers for connected car infrastructures, for example. And the other big thing, however, to point out, that that's the history of Kafka. It was for high volume and so on. Today, however, actually, the funny thing is that, that more than 50% of projects we see Kafka used in, it's actually not even big data. 
these projects um, grow and you use it more and more, especially in, in manufacturing. But in parallel to that, because Kafka is such a highly available and scalable system, you can also build your mission-critical workloads on that. So what our customers do today is also they build their payment platforms on Kafka for highly available instant payment globally. Just to give you one example or to map this more to the industrial IoT, of course, you need to do things like sensor analytics for predictive maintenance. That's the high volume use cases. But on the other side, you also need to integrate with the MES system and with the um, ERP system and also with your customer transactions and payments. This will never be terabytes of data. This is maybe thousands or a few tens of thousands of messages per second, right? But this is not big data. But still, Kafka is used there a lot because it's highly available and decouples the system. And again, because of its open architecture. So you can use it for building new innovative applications with your favorite proprietary or open source tools. But you can also connect it to all these legacy systems you already have, um, both on the industrial side and also on the customer side. And that's why Kafka is used so much today. Awesome. And I think that goes back to the cloud native journey, right? As in from a traditional perspective, we have legacy systems, data is trapped and locked into these siloed verticals and all these kind of things. And we want to make sense of it from an organizational perspective. And I think that's sort of where the conflict comes in. But if we have to you know, go back a little bit more to demystify the origin story and how LinkedIn, I mean, why they came up with this, what I've heard is that they had a problem with real time and scalability as in you can have one, but not the other. So you can either have real time, but then it wasn't really scalable. And there you have like the log structures and immutable logs and these kind of things. But on the other hand, when it was scalable, it wasn't real time. Does that make sense? Is that a fair assessment for emergent business needs? Absolutely. So that's a very good argumentation. That's actually also how I explain it to our customers or people new to Kafka, because data integration is not anything new. And uh, real-time messaging is also not new. As I said, I worked for Tipco before. Um, Tipco and IBM are the, the most sophisticated messaging providers of the last 20 years, and they're running in every bank and every insurance company for doing transactional data. But this real-time was about 100 messages per second per broker, right? And so with Kafka, we talk more about 100,000 messages per second per broker. And on the other side, data integration also exists for many, many years, like vendors like Informatica have this business, right? And also then in IoT space, there is the, the IoT solutions doing this integration, for example, to the PLCs with Siemens MindSphere and GE Predix and these tools. So that's where they are great. But I'm um, doing all of that together, real time at scale. That's where Kafka was built for. And again, the big other foundational differences are it's an open architecture. So you can use it for free from open source with Apache license, or you can use vendors, but still are open. So that's a, a key argument. And that's also from your perspective, not technical, but from a strategic perspective. When we talk to the executives of the um, Fortune 500 companies, that they, of course, want to work with vendors and get the support for Kafka and its additional tools for operations. But the core foundation has to be open source. And the software business know these discussions around Big Blue and Big Red when um, the Oracle license changes, right? And you have to pay more millions because otherwise their business model doesn't work. But you cannot simply go away from that because it's one solution built into all your mission critical workloads. And um, the same is true for many frames and so on. And this is the different thing with Kafka. Even if you work with a vendor, if you decide that, let's say Confluence is getting too expensive in two years and you don't want to renew, then you don't have to shut down your processes. Of course, you have to shut down some of the operations tools, but this is a much smaller project to get away from this vendor and maybe go to another vendor. And this is really therefore much, much more strategic to be open source and to be open at the core of the infrastructure. And that's also another big point in addition just to these technical arguments about real time and scalability at the same time. Awesome. I think that's super interesting. So if a company, let's say a global automotive manufacturer, for instance, they have thousands of applications that are tied to each other, a lot of errors everywhere, and they really can sort of find their way out of their mess. 
And so the use decoupling using Kafka, putting that into more like an open architecture or streaming platform, and then you're seeing that you can use Confluent and vendors around this space, but the data is actually decoupled. So like that fits into the streaming platform of the open data layer that someone can work on top of it and just add stuff to the application layer. So that if one application or many or whatever vendors that are not good, they can simply uninstall, remove that and get someone else there instead. From a resiliency perspective for an organization, that is brutal. It's like either go down with the ship, whatever that ship is, or actually stay afloat forever. And I want to give you one more even better example, which is really um, coming from the real world everywhere, because it, it's not even so much about is this vendor bigger or more expensive than the other one. But what we see in a lot of these manufacturing customers, like in, at the car makers, most of them are global, right? And so if you one example, so um, we work with Audi a lot since a few years and they build a connected car infrastructure with us. And this means you really have to connect to the edge, which is the cars, which drive on the street and provide real-time integration so that you, you can do not just predictive technologies, like for predictive maintenance, but also for after sales and all these kind of things. But the big point is from the beginning, Audi knew they will start this in Germany and they actually have a hybrid solution. So they're running this in AWS cloud in Germany. But from the beginning, they knew they will not just roll it out in Germany and in the US, they will roll it out, for example, also in China. And because they are global and China is one of the biggest car maker markets today. And therefore they knew from the beginning, well, in China, there is no AWS. So they need another solution there. And this is a very good example. And the same is for many big retailers or other companies. They say, we are not just on AWS, even if you're just in the US, we are multi-cloud or we need to be flexible and need to also be able to go to Microsoft and, and Google. And therefore, instead of using a proprietary native streaming service from these vendors, which they also have, they choose a neutral open API with Kafka. And again, here um, in the cloud, it's an often confluent cloud, which is the fully managed service from us, but it's Kafka under the hood. And therefore, they can um, use it on all the different clouds. And now the best thing, which is for the manufacturers and car makers, because retailers and companies like LinkedIn, they're cloud only, right? So they don't need any own data centers. But um, in the manufacturing and automotive, it will always be hybrid because you produce things, right? So you produce cars or anything else. And so you will have local data. And what we also see a clear trend is that, and even the, the cloud providers go this way today, is that it doesn't make sense to send all the data to the cloud for correlation and so on. It's on the one side, it's very expensive. And on the other side, also for latency use cases. Like if you want to do real-time analytics, like applying an analytic to your production line for a cost efficiency or so, and then you want to do that locally. And this is again where Kafka then comes into play because these customers say, I want to use one technology both in the cloud and on-premise. And Kafka, therefore, is one technology used in both deployments, on-premise or in the real edge and also in the cloud. And in addition to that, then you use also Kafka because it's built for high volume and real-time scaling. You also use it for the replication. So our customers run Kafka at the edge in the factory. They run it in the cloud and they use it for the replication too instead of doing point-to-point -point architectures between that. <laughs> I think the way that you're talking about Kafka is like the passion that you have. It's basically like when I'm talking about digital twins and how it's solving the world. And I mean, like Kafka is a big part of that. And I think that's a fantastic mindset to have as in either being global and so like mitigating risk or managing risk or wanting to go global and eventually sort of prepare for that beforehand. So you're not stuck with these native cloud tools from big manufacturers and vendors so that you like tie yourself in from the beginning that would sort of like incapacitate to scale. But I mean, this kind of architectural infrastructure so that you can be multi-cloud, how these hybrid strategies and all these kind of things, I think that's phenomenal. But replication, what is that and why is it important? 
that's very important in these hybrid architectures because on the one side, as we discussed, you need to do some processing at the edge, like in the factory for real-time analytics. And on the other side, many of your other innovative applications run in the cloud. So most companies have a cloud-first strategy for the applications where it's possible, like um, your customer management or even the more industrial things like many MES or ERP system. The, the main part of that is running in the cloud in the future. So they need to get some integration between the cloud and between the edge, like the factory or the buildings or whatever that is. And the big reason here is you have to ask the question, how do I do that? And of course, you can also, again, use some specific IoT cloud services. Like the problem with that is, and that's what our customers find out by themselves, of course, you can, for example, also directly connect from the edge to the cloud via some MQTT interface, for example, right? But that's then only for some of the devices. And then you also have to integrate some other machines with some other technology with the cloud. And with this, you build these classical spaghetti architectures where you have many point-to-point -point connections between the cloud and the edge. And was built exactly for building a scalable solution for sending data from A to B. And Kafka has battle-tested tools for doing replication between different Kafka clusters. This is the perfect solution because instead of doing point-to-point -point between different cloud technologies and on-prem, you put one Kafka cluster on-prem and one in the cloud and use the Kafka native technology for replication. This means, again, processing millions of events per second in real time from one location to another one. And this can really be globally. So the factory can be in China and the cloud cluster can be in Germany and all these kind of things. And that works very stable and very well. And you don't have the, the headaches about how to solving this problem. And this is the huge benefit why people use replication this way with the tools which are available around Kafka for that. Awesome. Like having that kind of architecture with the replication, then it's much, much easier to actually have a coherent data strategy as in setting rules and golden records and all these kind of things. Like in the test, like example, where you have over the air updates that you push out to the cars. Okay, so let's say we're going to push that all to all our factories, all of our buildings, whatever that is, and to also have the infrastructure to be able to do that. Because I know exactly what you mean with companies buying into the direct IoT analytics tools, you know, direct to cloud and all these kind of things. And I think that when they see that all of these kind of things that people need to change this, that when they don't have the infrastructure in place at the edge in the buildings, because to be honest, it's not bi-directional. And I've seen that still in buildings, especially that you just have one way up to drive analytics and visualizations, but it's not, you know, these cognitive buildings that everyone is trying to get to. And when they're trying to push stuff down to create smart buildings, it's impossible. The infrastructure is not in place and they absolutely don't have the possibility of a distributed intelligence on the sensor level or the PLC level. It's just like these things either pointing at the gateway when the gateway talks to the cloud and then it's not distributed in any shape, way or form. So, I mean, like based on what you're saying, if we would have, let's say, a commercial real estate portfolio instead of just the buildings, would that be a good example for Kafka then based on what you were saying for replication purposes, having all, you know, like the building automation solutions in Kafka, as well as down to the nitty gritty HVAC equipment to, to be able to populate that, to understand what is going on from a real time perspective and to run stuff locally, because that is the most important one, right? Because I think like sort of the requirement when we're talking about the building efficient space is that you can't just have it in the cloud because what would happen from a resiliency perspective? And it's the same for, of course, for a factory as well. I think like the question is what would happen if you just have the logic in the cloud? Can it work like that? So stepping back a bit, we have a portfolio real estate. It is a company that hasn't really done anything. Maybe they bought into like Azure or something like an IoT platform. What should the data strategy be how can companies get started with this? 
Yeah, so of course, it always depends on the specific requirements and infrastructure in place. But in general, I can tell you that we're working really today and with 100 customers about edge use cases. And with edge, I really mean where there is no real data center. And this means like in a real estate example, there is not just two or three of them, but there is tens or hundreds of them. And this means there is no IT expert on site. There is no real infrastructure on site. And this is a big problem because on the other side also, most of these use cases typically are at least partly disconnected. This means this infrastructure in a building has to work even if there is no cloud connection. And this is exactly the problem. And um, we have these use cases for buildings. We have it also for moving targets, like in mobility, like inside the train. It's the same story, right? Often it's not mission critical. So the customer could live if he doesn't get the news about the delay for the connection train, but it's still important. And therefore, um, there's many of these use cases. And it also depends a little bit on what the criticality of the use case is. Because in, in every kind of these industries, there's different use cases. If you just want to do some aggregations and reports, which you send to the cloud for some KPIs, it's okay if it's this connected for an hour, right? But if you do more critical things, and to give you one example from the buildings example again, we are working with many companies in the public sector, for example, for security, where they really connect to cameras and they need to do a real-time application of models to do image recognition of the people. That's a discussion on its own, right? How you do that and legal and all these things. On a high level, um, the point is this has to run in a disconnected way, no matter if you're connected to the cloud, this has to run at the edge. And this is, again, where, where Kafka is such a perfect fit because Kafka, as it's not just a messaging system, it's also a storage system under the hood. And this is a pretty powerful combination. And this is also the unique difference from the architecture compared to traditional messaging systems, which exist for 20 years. Because with this, um, you're completely decoupled between each other. And this means the local processing with the Kafka broker at the edge continues to run while the connection to the cloud does not work. And then when you're connected to the cloud again, then you start replicating the data again. But this is independent of the local processing, which continues to run. And this is a pretty powerful solution because you send the data from a sensor or a camera to Kafka at the edge. And then the local machine learning model can use it because it's offline at the edge and while it's not connected to the internet. And then one hour later, you connect to the internet again to the cloud. Then you replicate information to the cloud also, where you maybe do aggregations from different buildings to see what's happening everywhere. And these are very common use cases at the edge. To give you one other example from the mobility spaces, we are working, for example, with different cruises where you are on the ship for three days and you have a little bit of internet connectivity, but it's really for the most important stuff because it's very expensive. And therefore, what these customers have built, they have deployed Kafka on the cruises for doing all the edge processing there. And this is typically then customer driven because they want to cross-sell, upsell for their tickets for their concert and then sell more restaurants and all these things which have to happen while you're disconnected on the ship. But then when they connect to the harbor after three days, they have a very big connection to the internet and then they replicate terabytes of data to the cloud. And this happens after every road trip and for all the data. And in the cloud, they analyze the terabytes of data from all their cruises across the globe to get insights about how to sell even more to the customer, how to make them happy. And, and these insights are then deployed into the next business rules and models on the next cruise for the ship, right? And this shows a very good example of how this world is often disconnected, but still has to work. And here again, the big advantage is with Kafka on both sides, you can use it for the replication between the edge and the cloud too, as soon as you're online again. The cruise ship, it's a great example because it's a mini world of its own, right? I mean, they have the machinery, they have the energy stuff, they have the hotels, they're all buildings in itself. They also have payments, all of these kind of things in between, right? So what you're seeing is that that could actually run on its own. 
So basically, if I would copy like the architecture from a cruise ship, scale it up to a smart city or any city, you can have a lot of use cases that are very, very similar and it could work. The cost savings then, if not, you know, everything is going to go to the cloud, the cost savings would be tremendous. They would be really, really great. And then you would probably have a modern data strategy as well. Exactly. And to bring one more point here in, so it really depends on the use case and architecture, because this is, I would say, on the ship, it's more a mission critical use case. So this is still a small data center with a small cluster, because again, even the payments and the sales is happening for the tickets on the ship, right? So if this system is down, they cannot sell anything anymore. And they are in trouble and go to the old paperwork or so. So this is a more mission critical use case for this example. On the other side, we are working, for example, in the mobility space also with railway companies, because they also want to make their customers more happy while they're on the train. And here, it's not that easy because they're is more trains than a few cruises by a company, right? It's more like thousands of trains. And there is also not that much space for a data center and also not the budget. So here it's a little bit smaller deployment. And here it's then really not a cluster, which is highly available and mission critical. But here it's more like a single broker. This means it's not highly available. And if it's down, you need to replace it when you go to the next train station. But while it's running, and typically it runs, right? And we also ship that, for example, on certified hardware so that you, you work with one vendor which installs it in all ships or in all trains. And the big advantages, however, why the train is on the rails. It's the same story because the internet is typically very bad and still you want to do a lot of things like you want to send updates about the delays for the connection train. You want to buy something from the restaurant and deliver it to your seat. And you want to use your loyalty program to upsell to the first class and all these kinds of things. And they can run offline in the train. You don't need internet connectivity, but only if you have a system also in the train. And so what's happening here is that people use Kafka here in the train a single cluster because it's not infrastructure for a cluster, but you can have a single broker. And then you do all this edge processing without having connectivity to the internet. And again, when you're in the train station, then you replicate everything to the cloud where you analyze what's happening in this train and that train, and you update your loyalty system with the customer. So there's plenty of use cases and many of them have very different SLAs and hardware requirements. So the edge can really be anything. The last example here, we're also working to many customers where they go much more into things like retail stores, where you really have thousands of stores or something like that. So it's more like the building use case where you do the edge processing for better customer experience. And this is the same for any kind of digital building, what you want to do, right? So this is huge advantages what you can build. And with this, to your point about data management, that's, of course, also important. And here you have the same architecture at the edge and in the cloud or data center. And with that, you can build the same technology and data schemas and so on. And that's also what we provide. So on top of Kafka, this is what you need. So you need things like a schema registry to enforce that every client application uses the same data structures, because otherwise the different cloud services don't understand what's produced at the edge. And so data lineage, data catalog, all these data governance things are very important. And that's, of course, also part of such a solution. I'm based in Germany, so we also have GDPR. So um, privacy in Germany is also very different than in the US, for example. And that's also the interesting part here when you talk about these use cases, because it's much more than just the data and processing it, but it's also about privacy and data management. And that's also part of this big problem what we provide and solve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. That is the first part of two. Was it something that really stood out about this episode? Something you agreed or disagreed with? Or do you know someone that would need to hear this? Remember to share, like, comment and subscribe and stay tuned for part two. Thanks again from your host, the smart world architect, Nicholas Wern.